And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod, episode 184. We are back together, the three men weave, the original kings of content. Uh, I am one third of the host, Damone Carter, aka Dim One. I am joined by Mr. Nate LeBlanc. What's good, man? Oh, um, you know, doing good. It's a it's a busy time. Uh, things are things are happening in the world, and it's a lot to keep up with. But I'm doing good. What's up with you? Shit, man, living living the dream. I uh, took my oldest son and dropped him off at college last week. Uh, so, we're, so we're one down uh two to go uh he's he's living his best life in la and excited for him and speaking how did you of, feel like are you sad happy relieved i i thought i would be sappier proud? Yeah, i'm very proud I, oh. I thought i would be much sappier about it but when it was time to kind of like depart depart like once we had done all the things and we went to target and shit um he gave me the one arm bro hug and was like later dad my dad yeah <laughs> and like that was it i remember doing that yeah that's cool just, just kind of like i'm i'm good yeah go ahead, go like, ahead. I, I need to find weed so <laughs> <laughs> run that's, along that's great man i love hearing shit like that especially from my like friends who are parents so that yeah. that's great mile def, definite milestone uh and you know i got i got two more cheerings but uh yeah yeah so it was, it was definitely good times um and you know Speaking of college, we are on the line with an official professor uh, at San Jose State, Dave Ma. What's going on, man? Hey, man. Uh, really good to be back with you guys. Um, I had to miss last week. Um, it was the first week of school. Um, it ended up being very well, so uh, everything went great. So thank awesome. you for um, bringing it up. And actually, let me just uh, uh, correct you real quick. I'm not a professor. I'm technically a lecturer So because I don't have a PhD. He's a large lecturer. <laughs> <laughs> nice. nice. I, I, that ruins my joke, which was Professor Spliff. So. <laughs> nice. Sorry. Um, Man, well, I, I, I hit him with it. a I'm... nutty professor before we started recording. So this, this will not get old for us. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely it's not. really nice being back, though, guys. Thank you for holding it down and as, yeah. as expected. And um, thank you for the kind words and yeah, really good to be back. We got a yeah. really good episode. Yeah, we got a really dope episode lined up for y'all. Uh, we are going to throw to our interview with DJ Format in just a little bit. But that conversation got us thinking about uh, some of our crate digging experiences uh, that we've had over the years. I know Nate is our kind of resident uh, vinyl aficionado. Uh, Nate, the culture has shifted. Over the past, I worked at a record store in 99, um, and I feel like the, the culture has shifted uh, when it comes to, to vinyl and collecting. For, for, for the layman, can you give us kind of a, a broad sweep of what has happened in the last 20 years since um, reasonable breaks were like $3, and now they're like, <laughs> now it's $37 for fucking Bob James with the football. What's well, going you on? All, you all know that I love nothing more than to buy a couple of vinyls and throw them on the old Crosley. Uh, make a TikTok out of an old song, and uh, you know all the all the stuff the kids are doing. But you know, it's it's a byproduct of more people 
buying records. There's there's always been something cool about records and listening to records, the shape and feel of records, the the canvas for artwork that a 12 inch sleeve provides and the liner notes and blah, 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 blah. But uh, really what happened is the the vinyl resurgence or whatever you want to call it kind of got a little bit bigger than people had intended or perhaps thought that it would, it it hasn't quite leveled off the way people Mm -mm. thought it did. So basically there aren't enough pressing plants in the world to keep up with the demand. So one of the things that is causing consternation in the record collecting community and really in the small label community is it's just really, really long lag times to get things pressed. So you'll drop the digital and it used to be maybe six months later. Now it can be a year, year and a half later. You're able to get product in people's hands. It, it causes a lot of, uh, you know, ill will with customers who place pre-orders. Mm. And you got to stay really communicative. It just I feel like most of the mm. labels and kind of indie folks that I follow are mostly apologizing all the time, which sucks. Really? Wow. Yeah. Um, but I also, just... like, um, sorry. Uh, no, no, no. It's like the the reason records got more expensive is because more people buy records though, to get to your original point, the pressing plant thing hasn't really affected pricing as much. And though it will affect pricing for like a car record, uh, a rap Ferrera record where they have to be the one man shipping thing. If you still go to cause website, his big disclaimer is like, Hey, I don't want to hear about shipping delays. I'm a one man (laughs) operation. Glad you're getting any records, which I think is amazing. Uh, but Dave can provide us a lot more uh, perspective on that that side of the counter. But basically, records are more expensive because more people want them. And what we used to think of as common is not common to people who grew up using different formats and streaming. So to have it on vinyl has this cachet. So basically, Meeting. every record is expensive now, which sucks, except unless you own a record store, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good much. time. Good time to own a record store. No, Dave? Yes, sir. I don't own a record store, but I definitely have a little bit of insight on the sort of production and manufacturing of records. And to Nate's point, it's basically like the new the newsletter is basically all apologies, like Nirvana song. You know what I mean? <laughs> We're just like, yo, my bad. I know the pre-order was eight months ago, but here's a sticker for now. Uh, you know what I mean? That's um, funny. It's sort of just this worldwide sort of backup. And um, yeah, it causes a lot of consternation. But um you know, I, I do find that overall, I mean, people who, who get wax, people who care, ha- have some patience. So uh, anyone listening, thank you if you're waiting on one of our fucking <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, DJ Muggs bought a vinyl press. Oh, oh wow. so, smart. So, smart. Soul Assassins taking this into their own hands. Awesome. Uh, yeah, super great idea. More people, I think, will be doing that. It is yeah. industrial equipment. Most people would probably have to take out some kind of loan or financing mm-hmm. to do it, but it doesn't take up that much room. And right. there's like, there's right. you don't have to have a big giant warehouse where you press records for other people. You could just press your own records. Oh, and records. I believe he's going to start by doing runs of all these, you know. Uh, projects that he's working on then he'll probably take in orders for uh, the homies and then you can expand out right and that's how you grow a business really really smart idea that's great Uh, love to see that wow Uh, absolutely um the means of production being seized by the artists themselves is always dope to see um but it's also the market has changed in terms of um the i don't know what you want to call it the used record market i i remember a time when uh, the breaks weren't fully decoded. And so people would come and people would sell their collections. I, I worked at Streetlight 99, 2000. Um, and 
these were not necessarily on face expensive things or buyers weren't looking at them as expensive things because it's interesting how hip hop specifically has given meaning to a whole set of records. And now I go into record shops and I'm like, oh, you guys know what these are. Like you, right. you, under, you understand what these are in terms of uh, their significance and the culture. And I think that's another thing that's kind of driven up uh, the price of records that I, I remember being able to get for a lot less. Yeah, I, I'm going to quibble with that a little bit and say that perhaps it's not so much about significance in the culture as there being like a constantly updated worldwide database of prices. Mm. Oh, interesting. So that started with eBay and then records like our record collecting uh, kind of aggregated sites like Pop Psych and Grip Sweats for really high priced records. They would do like kind of like charts of the day of like what sold for the most. Um, But now Discogs and it's like when the record like it has a database of what the record sells for. So most record stores now somewhat unfortunately, but I totally understand why they do this price to discogs like they price right. it like anyone in the world would have a crack at it right. when really oh, oh, right, 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 right. be pricing yeah. to your local market your customers right. taste the theme of your record store and then if it doesn't sell take it and put it on discogs but a lot of people take out that middle step and just you know oh this sold for 35 uh 12 months ago to some guy in germany that's a 40 dollar record yeah right no no i i hear you i maybe my question i'll frame it as a question do you think that hip hop culture creates a, a significance for a jazz fusion record that wouldn't otherwise exist, right? Of, like, of course, of course, of course. If DJ Premier uses a Vic Juris sample for Mass Appeal, everyone's going to be looking for that record, even right. if 99% of the record's garbage. You know yeah, what I mean? Yes, yeah, yeah. So it's one of those things. You know, the, this part was used sublimely for this famous song because hip hop is, is that medium. And so it, it, it increases in value. So I get it. Yeah. And that, that goes back to like, you know, the Princeton record fair and Bleaker mm-hmm, Bobs mm-hmm. and A1 records. And like, what if, it, if something was on the wall at A1, it like became a part of hip hop lore at a certain time. And like, that's, that's as old as hip hop itself is, yeah. is using, right. using breaks, coveting breaks and breaks reinvigorating interest in old music. And now because so many people sample so many different things, it's like, like that's so diffuse it's not just the like you know what is it like 40 or so old funk and soul records with like really hot drums on them it's like right many, right over many many times it's every library record basically it's every like, every check psych record is yeah is exactly. now a, a sample for sure yeah uh yeah. but it, a lot of producers now don't even they're not record collectors per se and they don't think of vinyl as the only acceptable medium for sampling, that's kind of a good way to tell who's who's old school and who's not, and like mm-hmm. what era people came up in. Like, mm-hmm. I know many producers, friends of ours, who just like they'll take anything from anywhere. anywhere. They don't have rules like that, and the, they, honestly, they tend to be more well known. Like their mm-hmm. their their uh, end result productions tend to get out faster and more more profusely. So it's an interesting uh, kind of thing to wrestle with but basically like i, I just encourage everyone like there's no rules like, oh no no there's matters. no rules no <laughs> no it's it's all Agreed. kind of self-imposed uh and there's no reason to be limiting but what i love about records and i i probably think you guys would agree with this 
is it's like books like the shits are limitless like mm -hmm. there's literally no end to it and so i kind of feel like um i don't know if i felt this way 20 years ago but i'm like vinyl will be around in 20 years vinyl will be around in 20 years vinyl will be around in 30 years um in part because you mentioned this at the top nate um as a format i kind of think it's the king of all formats 100. like yeah you have a, a record from 68 Right. right the right. year of 1968 that i totally. can pull out right here and pull out right. and play i can't play my fucking cdrs from 2005 right it's a tactile artifact you know the, this this 45 the song on the 45 is as old as the thing i'm holding you know it's that's crazy. Illish shit. that's crazy totally. yeah the, the yeah. records are great unless you're doing the dishes <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you get 20 totally. 22 22 minutes in and then you gotta flip the record over with wet soapy hands so you know uh, um, no i mean I, I love records you guys can see one of my record shelves in my frame behind me and like i'm a i'm a big nerd about records and record collecting i love all different kinds of music and i love the culture of record collecting it's very meditative to flip through records i love nothing more than unsorted records and my uh, mind starts putting them together <laughs> and moving them like 100 the every, every time i go in a record store someone asks me where something is because i'm like refiling stuff while i'm <laughs> there like i just i can't stop doing that and i don't plan to but honestly, uh, just to go back to your breaks thing, Damone, and I don't, I would love to see how you guys feel about this in particular, Dave. I know you have some, some records like this. Like, I don't make beats. So, like, why do I have all these records? Hmm. Like, it's like a weird kind of, like, conundrum. It's like they're trophies, essentially. Like, uh, I've been thinking a lot about my records as trophies. Like, what am I actually listening to? on a like let's say weekly basis because there right, are definitely days right. that go by where i don't turn my turntable on i'm listening right. to stuff on streaming or listening to stuff in my headphones or in my car like when i go to listen to my records what do i gravitate towards why do i have some of the things that i have and especially with breaks and especially with records where the break is the only good part of the record i'm right. like i should probably let this get to someone who either wants to use it to sample or mm -hmm. who likes jazz fusion or whatever and doesn't like wants it for another reason, but just processing records is also an extremely time consuming thing where like the easiest thing to do is leave it bagged in the shelf in alphabetical order and right. just not Never worry about it. it and just be like, I have dope records. You know what I, mean? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a bit too pronged though, Nate. Like one is you want the music, you want the album and two, it's the, the, the collector side of it. So to your point about like having these three seconds on a uh, you know three seconds of drums on a record that overall is mediocre who cares you know what i mean um but also to to the sort of opposite point of that you know sometimes you find a record that's been sampled you know on your favorite rap song and the 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 entirety of the record is amazing so yep. you also yeah. have that as well you know the bob james the uh david axelrods of the world it's not just about their breaks you know yeah, yeah, it's it's so interesting in that um, sometimes it's this like really minute archaeology, something was rescued, but I feel a lot of times, and I, and I have a decent amount of records, I don't have a record player right now, but I have a decent amount of records and I feel like uh, getting to know those breaks and the source material for things, for me, I feel like I have a deeper understanding of of the of hip hop culture as a whole, even if I don't DJ, because I used to go through that too, it's like, why do I have 3000 records. I never DJ. I don't make beats like this, is not my primary form of listening to things. But um, I, I definitely get a lot out of hearing what other people heard. And also being like, 
how did you miss that? That's my favorite part of sampling is like listening to something that's been sampled, uh, like the sample for 93 till infinity, which premiere had chose to sample a different part. And I'm like, right. you didn't right. sample this part, like, totally. so it, which just, it's mind blowing, but it's also just a dope cut. So I feel like, um, there's a piece of it. That's like kind of this, I don't know what you want to call it. This like intellectual archive, just like right. the books behind me. I, totally. I've read, totally. I've read half of them. Like I don't, they don't have right. to be here, but there's something, I don't know. Maybe that's just collector. I, I love how you brought up DJ premier. Um, so we are going to unveil the, um, the upcoming issue of Black's Poetics soon. And mm. I believe on Thursday it will be unveiled and it's going to be the, um, it's going to be on Gangstar. It's going to be the cover. Sick. It's on the uh, making of hard to earn. So oh, I'm, wow. very, I'm very stoked to have done it and have spoken to Primo for like four hours. And Sick. so that, so that's going to be um, unveiled, but that's funny that you bring up Primo because we, we had a big internal discussion about uh, revealing the sample for mass appeal. At this point, it's on radio. You can find it everywhere on online. Right. And we asked Primo like, yo, this is a little bit inside baseball. We're like, hey, can we print or at least make mention of it? And he was like, no. No. Yeah, no still, sample snitching, dude. Still, still, yeah. you know, even though like it, you can Google it right now. So yep. those guys yep. didn't ask. No, exactly. Those guys I know. are vultures, it's so, it's right? So, <laughs> right. No, no offense so, to any of our friends who run sample websites, but I, I'm not cool with that. I've really, no, right. when I we agree. first started doing the show, I was being very fast and loose with samples and now i really have tried to stop saying that and like mm -hmm. i saw someone mm -hmm. post it's like hey if you know the sample congratulations you're part of the cool kids right you exactly. know the sample just live with that knowledge and be happy that you know this stuff don't exactly out this like you know it's like the number one thing everyone says like the game is to be sold not to be told, not told. exactly yeah. and like so so I, I really tried to do that and actually dave and i were just writing a thing where the editor was like no sample snitch and i was totally. like but that's so well known exactly but, that's not the point. The point is keep the knowledge within the culture. Totally, exactly. And that's Primo's point. And that's why we were very careful to not overstep. Yeah. Um, but I you know, speaking, that, speaking, thank you, man. Um, yeah, they're gonna reveal the cover, um, I believe this Wednesday or Thursday. I haven't seen it. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I think it might be around the same time the episode drops. So um, it should be cool. But um, you know, speaking of crate culture, speaking of collecting, I know that uh, Nate LeBlanc has an upcoming column. I don't want to give away too much, but we've been speaking about it a little bit. Can you reveal some tidbits of sort of, yeah. you know, what's been ruminating? You know, what can people expect? Yeah, thanks, Dave. Um, yeah, I've, I've been wanting to figure out something I can write about with some frequency. And I think I am going to try to approach it as like um, various kind of looks through the 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 prismatic view of what it means to collect records in 2021, like given all we know, given like, you know, okay. starting with like wax cylinders to like Crosley turntables and everything in between, like what's, what, what is important about it? What is, why do people do what they do? And maybe probably more specifically because I can only write about myself. Why do I do what I do? Mm -hmm. And like, um, I, the, I think the, the first one is going to be about my evolving ethos as a record collector. It's like when I started, I just wanted anything I can get my hands on. Now I basically don't want any records except for these very specific, <laughs> specific ones. Okay. And so okay. how, how does one's ethos evolve over time? And like, there's been a time where like my, on my business card, though, I don't think we had business cards at the record store. My job was record buyer. You know what I mean? It's right, like, yeah, right. That, that person has a very different ethos than me now, which essentially I'm a collector and 
a, a writer and a podcast host and like we utilize records and the we talk to artists and we sometimes people send us records which is crazy and one of the best things about hosting a podcast if anyone was wondering if they should start one don't but then tell them (laughs) (laughs) um it's that's just been a crazy side effect of this which i didn't expect and has been rad but anyway um it's about like narrowing things down do you guys remember our conversation with nathaniel friedman Oh, that was a minute ago. That was yeah. a while. Okay. Yeah, so he's, he, he's got a Discogs problem. He has a very <laughs> interesting record collecting ethos. And he, I was like, okay, dude, you're a big record guy. Like just the way you talk on Twitter, I can tell like you're, you're a serious dude in this game. Are we talking storage units, other houses? Where do you keep all your <laughs> records? And he's like, no, I'm like a Japanese monk. I keep like 60 records. I remember that. Probably yep. closer to like 600 records, but he, 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 spends time with them for a short time and then sends them along in their journey. And only the, the really hard filed things does he really keep. And like, I would love to get to that point in my life, but I'm nowhere near there. Like when I moved into my new record room, I tried to make it so I have no records on the floor that everything was shelved. I'm six crates, six crates away from being able to accomplish that. So <laughs> it's about having, it's about having goals. Yeah. Yes. They either need to be filed, sold, traded given away taken to the goodwill but they need to be processed Mm. so um i just don't know what to do with them yet it's like what about this 12 inch is this a hard file do i keep it for the rest of my life am i is this like untouchable or is it like you know anyway so i want to write about stuff like that i want to examine why i own certain records and i want to talk to people in the record collecting game maybe not some of the big fish that you might think of though i'd love to uh, sip some Riesling with Egon and Big Sur. Oh and, my uh, God. Sure. You know, to, uh, make it to the record collecting stratosphere. Probably totally. more likely I'm going to talk to our peers, um, yeah. people who are, you know, lifelong people in this game and what they collect and why and what they keep and what they let go. And it's it's so hard to talk about without talking about money. I'd also like to talk about like what I call the metaphysics of record collecting and record listening and why it's different than collecting CDs or Right. mini discs or links to dat piff totally it's like there's a specific thing about records that i have thought about a lot and i'd like to get some of that down into a document so it, working is it, on that is That's it gonna so be dope. called nate's crates maybe <laughs> tell us right now maybe yeah that that seems like the easiest title <laughs> like have something a little bit more witty but that's a good no no <laughs> Kids out there, podcasting is about the cheap and easy jokes <laughs> that you can weave in. Shout out, oh, Dead Bod Rap Pod. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, and, and as, as we kind of uh, round towards home here, uh, the other thing about record collecting and digging is stuff is it's a particular set of experiences, right? So when I think about records, I also go back to, oh, this is when I got this in this situation. For right. me... Uh, what this has looked like is the majority of my record collection was acquired in two shifts when I uh, I colonized my stepdad's record collection. He was kind of like a DJ in the in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, so I, I cleaved a bunch of stuff from him. And then when a, a family friend passed away, um, I collected like another thousand records, of which 500 were Gladys Knight and the Pips. <laughs> Shout out to Summer of Soul. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it. I for a minute I had like every Gladys Knight and the Pips record, um, and so I, I don't have. Put as them many... on the midnight train to Goodwill. 
<laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, but I, I don't know that I've, uh, again, because I'm not a producer or like a hardcore collector, I don't have as many like collecting stories. Uh, do you guys have any kind of like anecdotes, memorable times, trips when you went to uh, acquire the vinyls? I do. I, um, you know, and it kind of ties into our, our upcoming episode here with uh, DJ Format. But, you know, I've uh, a big part of what I'm into is traveling. So I've traveled kind of, all, you know, as much as I can all over. And one of one of my main goals is when I travel is to check out all the local record spots, of, of course, just like mm-hmm. any music lover, I'm sure. But, you know, my, my sort of crate digging story is that, like, regardless of, like, wherever I've gone, like, the biggest come up I've ever had has been in a place called San Jose called Big Owls. Oh! And it, oh which, which I know, which is R. now def- which is now defunct, R. yes. But it was, you know, it was one of those spots where, like, 10 years ago, I think, um, I okay, let me just preface it by being, like, I think it's, you always have the biggest come up when you're the guy that follows some DJ from the eighties who just dumped off his, his crates. Yes. And yes. I was that guy. I was that guy in Big Al's, which was, this, which was this big record barn in San Jose that's dusty and gross, but it was a dinosaur and it's been there forever. And I went there one day on a, on a Wednesday afternoon and there was a crate full of Fela Kuti records. Oh and, to, my and, to the, I, and I'm talking like expensive shit, zombie, you know, um, sorrow, tears and blood, like all the fucking crazy shit. And, um, soul sonic force records that are unwrapped that are still wrapped like crazy shit for like 20 bucks and then that's my biggest come up dave is a very generous friend i have one of those (laughs) records Uh, he 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 bought so many that day he was able to kick down to the homies i was giving out free fail all records yeah exactly dude additions Um, makosa i can't remember the title (laughs) he's talking on a vinyl phone he's got a stack of vinyl (laughs) vinyl records to his ear (laughs) 645 what about you nate a bunch, but one thing that really stands out is like uh, it kind of like on your traveling thread, Dave, like uh, my wife and I took our honeymoon in Paris and we were there for three weeks. So we got like an Airbnb and we like tried to blend into the local scene. And um, I did hit some record stores that most uh, kind of notably Superfly Records in Paris is amazing. I've talked about it on the show before. They have amazing African records and international records. And it's just like two of the coolest guys you'll ever meet in your life. It's an amazing record store, but I actually ended up buying a Serge Gainsbourg record in like a kind of uncool French record shop um, where at, in the same trip, um, my wife found a, a record of the old boxer ruining the story by not remembering his name. Um, I want to say Sonny Liston had a record. So oh, wow. we both, we both walked out with like a pretty cool record and just like the, the, it's like, you know, when you're traveling, you hope to find something like that. Is it one of, is mm-hmm. it like, you know, his best records? Is it the psych stuff? No, it's like right. a little bit of a later record, but I'll always have that. Like, I don't want like a keychain with the Eiffel Tower on it. I want to search. Totally. You know I mean, like That's it kind tough. of, it kind of fits in between souvenir and digging trophy and like actual record that I want to listen to. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. So that, that's, that's like, amazing. That's a special one. Right. I mean, get, getting a surge record in, in Paris is like getting a Fela record in Africa, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or San Jose. Yeah. 
<laughs> shout out shout out to big owls i didn't i didn't see that reference coming that was like a, a staple yeah. for a long time i, I, funny, like I Dave, did the last Dave wrote piece the interview him. yeah or wrote the piece that it was mm. on the cover of our mm. local alt weekly and yeah. quoted me in it and yeah uh, because i would say something nice about it <laughs> yeah I, I was i was i hit a pe- peanut butter wolf i hit up dj shadow and everyone's like al well he's a, he's always been the an dick. asshole to me he's a dick <laughs> yeah that yeah. was my next yeah. thing he was totally, the notorious totally. dick yeah, yeah. Was i was also, like also slightly could, racist yeah oh yeah for sure but for you sure. know I, I think i said something like yeah you could really spend a day there if you want to like <laughs> get tuberculosis and not buy any records <laughs> full stop uh let's go to our resident nice guy nate um so yeah so we uh we hope you've enjoyed our our kind of treaties on vinyl collecting uh, searching for hidden jewels. And now for a word about the tools for your family jewels, uh, we want to let you know that support for Dead Bob Rap Pod is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the lawnmower. Nate, let us let us hear the lawnmower. Fire it up. Uh, look at that. It's so sleek. You don't even hear it. It's so it's, good. It, you you barely hear it. Nate Nate is uh he's he's doing a motion now that I won't describe. But I'm turn the <laughs> camera off. <laughs> he's running the family jewels right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> the lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The 4.0. Dave, get off that 3.0 shit. Just joined <laughs> over two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer that we're going to give you, you can get 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Just use the code DADBOD at manscaped.com. Again, the code is DADBOD at manscaped.com. We, the bros, all got um, our own lawnmower 4.0, which Nate is brandishing right now, kind of menacingly a little bit. (laughs) Um, But but yeah, I, I... I find that it's it's sleek, it's lightweight, it's not like uh, I don't know what I thought I was gonna get, but it's not like this uh, huge behemoth thing, which I think was probably a good thing uh, in terms of. You only want one behemoth in that area. <laughs> if you're lucky. Uh, yes, yes. Um, so yeah, we we were proud to uh, to be uh, partnering with Manscape and offering this deal for our listeners. Uh, the cool thing about it also is that Manscaped is like, it's not your dad's ball trimmer. It's a, uh, it's got a sleek modern design, uh, super cool. So we want to encourage the packaging is amazing. Like, it's yes. just like, it's like opening an iPhone, but one you can actually use. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, and it doesn't cost uh, $3,000. So yeah, we, we encourage you to, to check it out at manscaped.com. Use the code dead bod. One and, word. Uh, uh, it's two words. Two words. D A D space B O D uh, for your family jewels. And, and you'll be supporting not only your own testicles, but also the dad bod rap pod, which we appreciate. Um, and with that, we want to somehow transition to <laughs> our interview uh, with DJ format uh, who I, I was not present for this guys, but uh I, I hear it's a great interview. Uh, Nate clued me into um, some of the uh, some of the joints that he's produced. So I'm new to DJ format, but definitely excited to hear this interview. So without further ado, let's cut to our interview with DJ format 
dad bod rap pod Dad Bod Rap Pod, um, bringing you dope interviews every week. This week is no different. We are here with DJ Format. How are you doing, man? Yes, yes, yes. Very good, Dave. Thank you. Yeah, good. It's, it's kind of late over here in the UK, but, uh, but uh, yeah, it's good to be talking to you. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. You know, um, we just want to kind of start chronologically at the beginning. Um, you know, I think your first foray sort of was uh, the Bomb Records, 1997, Vinyl yes. Overdose. Um, yeah 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 that was certainly my first release you know like a solo release under the name DJ Format I've been involved in some kind of UK hip-hop stuff you know I, I sort of DJed and produced for a group but it was you know kind of uh, a little bit underground you know under the under most people's radar I think <laughs> okay can you let us know a little bit about that experience and you know when you first were determined to be DJ Format and how that landed you on the Return of the DJ Volume Two. Um, well, yeah, funnily enough, it ties in with the with the rap group that I was in. They were called Suspect, and it was more like um, not not to speak of it, you know, in a in a negative way, but it was more like some um, kind of like very. British rap, if you know what I mean. Like, like um, I don't think you guys would necessarily quite um, appreciate it. I might be wrong. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to assume too much. But, but it was very much a moment in time where the the, the hip hop scene in the UK was kind of. We were still trying to find our own identity because we'd all. But when I say we, you know, I guess I class myself you know in the same category even though I was never a rapper but we collectively had a bit of a identity crisis where we naturally copied the American hip-hop that we grew up listening to and loving and so there was a lot of people from the UK were just rapping in American accents and then it took a while before we kind of found our own voice and 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 then the irony is a lot of people no matter what part of the UK they were from they just started rapping with London accents which really is just as fake as rapping with an American accent if you're not from London and don't talk like that but anyway I got involved with these guys suspect because um just, just through a mutual friend, you know, and, and one of the MCs from the group, Blue Eyes, he was very active in the sort of B-boy scene, not only in the UK, but around Europe. He would put on shows or organise tours for other artists, you know, um, and he started doing business with Dave Paul from Bomb Hip Hop. Um, that was more to do with, you know, back in those days, it was VHS tapes, right? So, you know, Dave would have his, you know, Bomb you know, parties or, or, or whatever you want to call them, you know, um, the club nights, I guess, and, and put on some great artists and then do videos. And Mick, uh, sorry, Blue Eyes, was, um, he was he was getting involved in it from a business sense, you know, with, with Dave, you know, getting the videos out here to, to us guys in the UK. Because we had no, you know, we had no other way of seeing that stuff back then, right? This was pre-internet, just about. So, um, yeah, basically... 
I was I was recording the album with these guys, Suspect, and I had two DJ tracks on the album. And, it, you know, let me start by saying they weren't good. It was my first experience <laughs> in a studio. And I learned very quickly the uh, ideas that were good, you know, in my head <laughs> um, weren't so good once I actually got to go in a studio and try them out. And uh, yeah, it was a it was a fast learning curve. But um, Blue Eyes, I keep wanting to call him Mick, that's his name, but Blue Eyes had told Dave, hey, I'll, you know, we, 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 you know, we, he'd heard about the, you know, Return of the DJ Volume 1. I think Dave had just, um, you know, finalised the, 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 the line-up of that. And, um, and Blue Eyes said, yeah, you know, our, our DJ just did a couple of DJ tracks. And I think Dave, to give him credit, I think he very politely and constructively said, yeah, those two tracks are cool, but how about, you know, Mac do something exclusive for the next Return of the DJ album? Mm. And that's really why I did Vinyl Overdose. It was, it was kind of a, you know, like, okay, I've been kind of nicely invited to do something. So, okay, I need to step my game up and, and, and do something a bit more original. That, that works, unlike my first two DJ tracks. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Uh, but, but, uh, yeah, appreciate the modesty, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, I think everybody's first tracks could use some work, right? But it's cool that you uh, you got them out there and you learned from these. Yeah, experience. yeah. You know, we, we've, we those, uh, we're a little closer to Dave's home base of San Francisco. We're based in San, San Jose, about an hour away, but oh, I think okay, um, our, we, our ears were really peaked, and we often talk about those bomb compilations um, kind of codifying this really yeah. messy scene. There were people from yeah. all over the place doing this really interesting stuff. It was great of Dave to put it in a, in a kind of digestible format. And that's, that's where we yeah. first heard about your work. Um, so let's move the timeline up a little bit. Um, you definitely are not just a DJ, but an excellent producer. And you, to me, the kind of defining thing of your music, especially your early music, is this kind of like really, um, like I call it true school, like b-boy aesthetic, and yeah. like it's it's yeah. always really drum heavy and really funky and really like you know you like you could straight up break dance to it, and like that's yeah. to me I it, we always need to keep that part of the culture alive. I, if you agree or not agree, I'd just love to hear kind of what you think about that, and like if maybe in your own words describe your ethos on your early records. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with everything you said. And I, I think in the UK, for some reason, because it was hard, maybe because it was harder for us guys to, you know, you, you, you guys had it on your doorstep. You know, you probably grew up with hip hop. You know, you could go out to probably, I'm guessing, multiple different clubs. You know, you could experience hip hop much easier than we could. So I think over here, we were just really kind of, obsessed with where it all came from you know the culture the history I mean most people that I knew that were involved with hip-hop um, probably you know had at some stage been an MC or attempted to be they'd probably been a DJ they probably collected breaks they damn sure had written graffiti at some point and they probably tried to b-boy as well that is the case for most people in the UK that, that were into hip-hop I mean I'm sure there'll be exceptions but I would honestly say like 80% at least of people would have gone through that kind of thing. So I think it's natural that we were, you know, a little bit caught up in the headspace rather than necessarily, again, maybe I'm speaking more personally here, but rather than necessarily trying to advance the art form in, in terms of making contemporary hip hop and trying to push the boundaries. I mean, speaking personally, I was definitely still caught up 
um, in a headspace where I just wanted to extend the tradition, you know, just just kind of continue that. And and you know, for me at that point as well, it was so much. About, well, it still is so much about digging for breaks, finding things that hopefully people hadn't used. Um, and, you know, and in some cases, maybe they had, but you put your own original twist on it. So, you know, that that's one part of it. I think another part of it is, again, like I say, we had a bit of a, a strange identity crisis. So for me, it was a lot easier to concentrate on making either B-boy tracks, you know, like up tempo, lots of breaks, you know, maybe a bit of scratching. There was that side of it. And also just straight up DJ tracks where, again the way that I did it because I was never the world's best scratcher you know I, I I used to enjoy you know cutting and 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 you know just kind of doing an amount that came to me naturally but the idea of actually deliberately practicing for hours on end it never really appealed to me it was like for me it was just a fun thing when it stops being fun move on do something else whereas digging for breaks I never got tired of that you know I can spend all day in a record shop till they kick me out but and and usually that's the way it went. So yeah, that that was kind of how how it went for me. Certainly in those days, I just wanted to continue the hip hop that I'd grown grown up listening to and loving. And to me, you know, the b boy element and the the even the scratching element by that point had kind of gone out of hip hop. I mean, DJ Scratch with EPMD was maybe the last DJ. I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe this is controversial, but, you know, he was maybe the last real big, iconic, you know, important part of a major rap group that really made people go, yeah, DJ scratches, you know, the DJ is as, as important as the MCs. You know, after that, it just became more and more watered down or, or the DJs got pushed to the back. So, yeah, that's how I see it anyway. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Um, you know, we mentioned different regions a little bit and um, one of your most uh, frequent collaborators is Abdominal. So, you know, and he's a, he's a Canadian hip hop artist. And I just kind of wanted to, to, to get your view because I wanted to get your view of hip hop from North America that wasn't from LA or New York or the South. Yeah. But what do you think, what's the perception from English folks of Canadian hip hop? Um, the perception for, for us guys, honestly, I, I, and again, maybe I'm speaking more for my age group, you know, because we grew up with the, what we had the electro compilations, you know, from like the, mm. I think from about 83 or something like that onwards. And, and there was always a real mixture of, of, of you know, hip hop. So it, there could have been, yeah, there could have been Run DMC on one of them. There could have been Africa Bambata on there. And then there could have been some Mix-A-Lot from Seattle. And there could have been Two Life Crew from Miami. And then there could have been, I don't know, ATC. This beat is deaf. You know, those guys were from LA, I believe. You know, so we didn't ever really get too fixated on where people were from. If it was, if it was dope, it was dope. That was the bottom line. We weren't, you know, I remember actually really early days when I was still at school and a friend, a friend of mine who wasn't really into hip hop, but his older brother was like, like maybe three years older, he'd left school. He was able to go out and buy his, you know, records for himself. Whereas I was still, you know, just dubbing cassettes off people. He used to kindly dub hip hop albums for me that I would have had no other access to. And I remember saying to my friend, you know, ask your brother if there's anything, you know, if there's anything I have that he might want in return. And the, and the, the answer came back that, yeah, uh, he wants West Coast hip hop. And I remember being baffled, like... <laughs> How the hell am I supposed to know where it's from? 
do you mean West Coast? Like, <laughs> just be specific. Tell me a group name. But so you know that that's that probably sums it up. We just you know it's certainly in those days in the eighties. We weren't even thinking about that kind of thing. As 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 the years went by, maybe people got more aware. I don't know, but but for me, you know, when I heard Abdominal, for example, who's from Toronto, you know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, I still to this day I don't listen to him rapping and thinking, oh yeah, he's got a Toronto accent. To me, he just sounds like you know a dope MC, and it's kind of a universal thing. I mean, same with Maestro Fresh Wes, who, you know, he was the first Toronto MC, I guess, who really kind of blew up. Um, you know, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't really pay any attention to the fact that, you know, he didn't sound different to me in, in terms of the, the, the cadence or anything like that. He just was dope. You know, when his, what was the first album? Symphony in Effect. You know, we, we, for some reason that, that, you know, that was kind of, I don't want to say big, but it certainly reached the UK in a big way. Um, it had distribution over here. So, we were, you know, we were all aware of that with him wearing the tuxedo on the, the front of the cover. <laughs> you're, you're making me want to run to the stacks and go and hold it up in front of the camera, <laughs> but uh, we we got to stay on track here. Um, let's uh, move it up a little bit. Can you talk about your collaborative record with Phil Most Chill and uh, oh, yeah. kind of uh, your perceptions of the legendary Soul Man? <laughs> Phil was a, a, a massive influence on me because, again, in the in the days when I was really starting to, you know, get into breaks, which 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 again for me personally was more like the sort of early '90s when I started trying to make beats for myself, which you know probably like, I mean at the minimum '91, but I'm talking probably more '92, and then start things starting to make a little bit more sense around '93. You know, he had his column in was was it rap sheet or rap pages? I get mixed up, but that was that was a, a, a publication that we were able to get sometimes in the UK. So he was the first dude that was like listing breaks. You know, he was giving the names away. People didn't do that back then, right? So <laughs> Phil was a big influence on me. You know, I, because again, where I live, you couldn't typically. I'm not saying it wasn't possible, but it wasn't easy to necessarily find black music. You know, there wasn't an abundance of it where I grew up was you know you're gonna you're gonna typically find black sabbath records and and you know things of that nature which is again not necessarily a bad thing but for me trying to make hip-hop records i i almost really i, I think i really appreciated reading phil's thing uh, you know his his column and then you know hearing him talking about uh black sabbath behind the wall of sleep and things like that it made me think okay i i'm all right i'm i'm, I'm it's okay to dig for rock breaks that's not so crazy after all that's mostly what i was exposed to so anyway moving on um you know obviously a lot of years passed by and yeah i had the opportunity to work with phil because we'd um i can't think how we initially initially connected but he featured on um on a song on on an album I did in 2012 called Statement of Intent. He featured on there with my man Sure Shot LaRock, a little uh, duet with those guys, you know, a throwback old school thing. And that was where me and Phil really sort of hit it off and 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 we sort of you know toyed with the idea. I, I think it was more me sheepishly saying, hey, you know, if you if you if you ever want to do any more songs like this, Phil, you know, thinking that he's going to be like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm cool, one was enough. And he was like, yeah, 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 you know, give me whatever you got. So I, I, again, for, for a minute, I think I, I, it took me a while to sort of 
be confident enough to just send him some beats because I felt like I had to almost give him finished tracks that were, you know, the best thing that I could possibly present to him in order for him to take me seriously. But quite honestly, in the end, once I realised how relaxed he was and, and the way that he liked to work, I could just send him a loop. And if it was right, you know what I mean? If it, if it, if it, if it clicked with him, he would just write something instantly. He'd be so inspired. He'd just write something and send it back to me almost immediately, like, like within 24 hours, he'd send me a rough draft that he's maybe recorded over his phone. The only delay was he might have to wait till the weekend till he can get in the studio. And then once he's recorded the vocals, I'm playing catch up to him, trying to like fill in all the, you know, put in some more samples, you know, do some cuts, but he worked so fast. It, it just blew me away. The man was just pure hip hop, just, just, you know, you just throw him a loop, he gets inspired, he writes, boom, before you know it, you damn near got an album coming together. Uh, you know, it, it took us no time at all. Wow, thank so, you. Yeah, um, that was a pleasure working with Phil. <laughs> you know, you, um, you know, Phil is a, is a collaborator and I, I read that you um, opened for DJ Shadow in 2002, that he took you sort of, he took, kind of took you under his wing and had you open up a couple of dates. Yeah, yeah, kind of. I mean, I mean, okay. yeah, probably wherever you read, wherever you read that, it was probably written in a way that was supposed to make you know supposed to make me seem you know really cool and and important. And, and the truth of it is probably you know a lot a lot less. Okay. I think basically what happened was we were. I was going to say we were aware of each other. Of course, I was aware of him. But what I mean is he <laughs> became aware of me. I can't remember fully how, but anyway, he genuinely did request for me as tour support for I think it was three shows in the UK um and I you know and again this was such sort of early days of me you know I'd, I'd done some gigs but in terms of like really understanding the business of it and how it works you know instead of just being like oh my god DJ Shadow's asked me to support him okay I'm just gonna you know, I'm just going to, you know, grab this with both hands and just be grateful. I remember when they offered me, you know, the, the standard poultry support slot, you know, DJ fee. I remember being like, I can't do that. I can't drive all the way to Manchester for like, you know, 50 pounds. You know, that's going to cost me more than that in petrol. And it, it took a minute. You know, I think I was trying to play, not exactly trying to play hardball, but I probably caused him a load of problems by, because initially I was like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like I say, I can, I can only laugh and admit it now because, you know, I, I just, you know, look back at my naivety and I didn't get it. But ultimately, yeah, uh, we, we, you know, I did end up spending a little time with him. You know, not not a great deal of time, but 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 just, you know, enough to get a few good conversations in. And um, actually, it's, it's, I, I've just remembered now the reason, yeah, I'd met him in, I think it was 1998 when I was driving Jurassic 5 around on their, their first mm. UK tour. That's when I met Shadow. I, I'd, I'd taken those, uh, those guys, J5, to a show in London and Shadow was there. That's, and, and I remember specifically that we t had a really in-depth conversation about Miami bass because <laughs> nice. he's a big lover of Miami bass. And I'm slightly embarrassed to admit that, yeah, I used to be kind of, Big on not not the not the lyrics and the whole shaky booty, but the, the again the DJ element of it. You know, Mr. Mix, for example, from Two Live Crew was technically the DJ that that made me want to scratch. Uh, wow. You know, yeah. I'm happy to say that it was Throw to D. It was the scratch solo in that that just it used to give me goosebumps when I was a kid. Wow. I couldn't understand how crazy it used to make me feel. Uh, yeah. Make me feel, and I, I yeah, 
I, I, I know a lot of my DJ friends are obsessed with Magic Mike's really clean. Oh, Magic Mike! Well. Well, yeah, 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 just like it, it's it's not the main thing people listen for, but those that know know how clean and like exactly. how funky his scratch style was, and that was a yeah, huge, and, prominent uh, part of the music, right? Yeah, and, and and apparently Magic Mike did the majority, if not all, of those scratches on a first take basis. Like he just wow. <laughs> that's insane. Um, I don't think I'm overstating that when I say that Dave and I are both obsessed with your track with Edon called Spaceship Earth. Oh, uh, that's just a thank huge you. favorite of ours. We like, you know, um, just bought the 10 inch and just like sent it yeah. to each other both at the same time when it first dropped. And it's just, it's such a great song. So I, I do want to hear about that collaboration, but then I'm yeah. wondering if you kind of heading in that psych direction had a direct influence on your new album, which is pretty leaning in that direction as well or if that's just a side of your personality so if we could do the spaceship earth first and then talk a little yeah. bit about the new record and your, your psych side yeah. if you will yeah sure sure um yeah first of all i think um i was just i was already going in that direction you know i was listening to more and more psych stuff so i made the instrumental to um spaceship earth in fact the, the finished version that you hear, the way that Edon rhymes over it, that is the exact arrangement that I had initially made for him to listen to. And when I went after he'd written the raps and, and sent them to me, I tried to rearrange the song and he was like, whoa, you know what you're doing? It was already perfect. I wrote it for your arrangement. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, I didn't really expect that. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I didn't really mean for it to have vocals on that particular part. I thought that, you know, and he was, anyway, I respected him so much and 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 I was just grateful for the fact that he was willing to work with me that I didn't really argue the, the point too much. It was like, okay, cool. If you if you feel that strongly about it. The way it builds that. is incredible though. It'd be a totally different song if it didn't take off basically. Yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. I'm I mean, going to stop talking, sorry. No, 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 it's cool, it's cool. And, and, and I appreciate your enthusiasm. It's just, I just pictured it slightly differently. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have been that much different. It was just, I wanted to have a longer instrumental section and for him to come in rhyming slightly later than he did. But I mean, I'm, yeah, who am, I to, who am I to worry about it now? Because yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm super proud of that song. And, 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 and that kind of came about because me and Edon used to talk a lot on the phone and trade records, probably going back to, I would say the very early 2000s, um, sort of onwards, you know, again, it was like, you know, I hate to say it, but the, the whole emergence of the random rap genre, you know, and certain records were kind of being almost discovered, you know, things that had passed us by back in the days or people that maybe weren't old enough, never even, you know, would have had a chance to hear them back in the days. So all that stuff was getting rediscovered and, and yeah, me and Edon used to trade a lot of that kind of stuff. So that was kind of our connection. And, and again, to, 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 to give him his due, Back in those days, I was trying to get him to collaborate with him, uh, with me. And, you know, I had a record deal at that point and I was able to offer him money. And he was saying to me, no, 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 no. That beat you sent me, I think I sent him like three beats. And he was like, yeah, this one is cool. That one's cool. That last one, nah, I think it's a bit weak. And he's like, they're all cool to an extent, but I'm not going to rhyme on any of them. If you want, you know, he, he, you know, he was kind of effectively not just taking the money like 99.9% .9 of MCs will do. And that's their prerogative. He was basically saying, none of your beats are good enough for me to rhyme on. And that's, you know, I respect that. And I, I eventually rose to the challenge and, and he wanted to, I knew I had to give him something crazy to inspire him, you know? 
So, wow. and, and, and one more, one more, if I may, one more brief thing. I've got to thank my man, Sure Shot Laroque, once again, for that connection, because, um, again, I'll, I'll try and keep it brief, but Sure Shot was going to be going to New York one particular weekend, and he was... He, he, I think he'd arranged to meet up with Edon and he said he knew that I'd already made that beat and really I wanted Edon to rhyme on it, but I hadn't bothered, you know, contacting Edon because it had been a while and I just figured, ah, you know, he's probably going to turn me down again. So Sure Shot said to me, send me that beat and I'll make sure I'm going to play it when I'm in the car with Edon. And that's basically <laughs> what happened. So he played it and Edon's like, oh, you know, what's this? Oh, yeah, that's one of Format's beats. Boom. The rest is history. So once again, thank you, Sure Shot the Rock, my man. <laughs> that's so dope, man. Thank you. You know, uh, we touched on it on this slightly earlier, which is um, just the, the digging side of, of what you do. Yeah. And um, I know you had that Brazil 45 released with Mr. Bongo. And you know, right. we, we mentioned, you know, you and Psych Records and uh, Miami Bass Records and stuff. Do you have a sort of standout digging story? A standout digging story. Um, no, I mean, not not like when you put me on the spot like that. Like, <laughs> uh, 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 no, I mean, lots of just like silly ones that maybe, or, you know, not like, oh, yeah, one time, you know, one time I, you know, walked around the corner and there was like 50,000 library records in a skip, you know, <laughs> that's, that's happened to people. It never happened to me. I mean, I've had, I've had good, you know, luck over the years and, you know, especially with library records at certain times. Um, but, but a really good digging story that I could, I could just, the best one I can think of really quickly, it's, 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 it only involves one record, but it was just the coincidence that, why I was where I was and when I was. It was basically, it was on my birthday. This is going back to about, again, I, I think about 99 or something like that, 1999. And um, it was my birthday. And I, I also share a birthday with my sister. She's seven years younger than me. And my girlfriend at the time, bad, bad, bad timing. She had a job interview on my birthday. So we were trying to drive back to my hometown of Southampton to spend time with my sister and my family. You know, it's always a family day. And my friends had taken me out in Brighton the night before and they'd really done a number on me. They just, everyone had bought me, you know, shots of tequila and Sambuca. And I had basically like the worst hangover possibly of my entire life. And I was just curled up in a ball in the car while my girlfriend was having this job interview. And after about an hour, I'm thinking, you oh, know, where the hell is she? And I started to, you know, just about get enough life in me that I managed to get out and go to a cafe and have a cooked, you know, like a, an English fried breakfast. And it kind of brought me back to life. So when I was walking back to the car, I went to one charity shop in this little area. It's, it's actually not far from, from where I live now. This one charity shop. And I walked in there and I mean, I'm still really not quite with it. Right at the front of the, of the, of the rack of records, is what I think is a reissue of Bill Doggett Honky Tonk Popcorn album. And because it's just been reissued. That's how, I'll be honest, at the time, I didn't know it other than the reissue, you know. And it's right at the front. And I'm, and I'm picking it up and looking at it and thinking, this doesn't make sense. This record's just been reissued. Why would somebody have bought it and given it to a charity shop? already? You know what I'm talking about, charity shop, thrift store, right? Right, same, right. Same thing. And then it finally dawns on me, you know, my, my clouded hangover, you know, lifts a little. It finally dawns on me, Jesus Christ, this is an original. This is a... So it's, it's my birthday. I shouldn't have been there, you know, 
Bill Doggett hon honky tonk popcorn for one pound. Wow. That's, cool. that's, awesome. that's just a personal favourite, but it's uh, there you go. It's, it's yeah. different living in the UK to the States. Believe me, to find a record like that in a charity shop over here is just very, very, you know, it doesn't come around very often like yeah. that. Right on. That's great. Thank you. Um, so kind of please tell us about your new record, Devil's Workshop. We both listened oh, to yeah, it today. Yeah. We both really enjoyed it. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Like, yeah, it's uh, just tell us, please. Like, how did it come about? Like, um, just the story of it, kind of. Well, you, you, you mentioned earlier about me getting more, you know, into psych and obviously from the, the collaboration, back from the collaboration with Edon. You know, I've been listening to that stuff more and more pretty much since the, the, the kind of late 90s, early 2000s. And yeah, my tastes have just gone more in that direction, you know. And um, I think when it came to making this this album, Devil's Workshop, I think I wanted to just <laughs> a lot of it was just really wanting to not rely on other people. <laughs> I just wanted to be able to just stay at home on my own and mess with samples. And and honestly, it became a thing where it became one of those situations where I almost made it hard on myself. It would have been a lot easier at certain points to call up a, you know, one of my friends to say, can you come and replay this bass for me? Can you, you know, can you play this guitar, maybe elaborate this bit, that bit? But it was like, no, 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 I want this to be a hundred percent samples because that's the way I set out for convenience. But then, but then eventually it became a, yeah, it became like a, you know, a matter of principle, like, no, that everything's got to be put together by me. You know, I want it to be original. I, you know, I want it to be samples that hopefully people don't know, but then a few things that definitely real, you know, any sort of deep diggers will, will know, but hopefully they'll hear the way that I've used it, you know, along with this, that, and the other, and, and, you know, respect the fact that, yeah, I, I know that record, but damn, listen to the way he's, he's used it. So, yeah, I just wanted to make, um, something that really reflects uh, the music that, that I'm really feeling at the moment. I know it sounds stupid, like, well, yeah, why would you not? But what I mean is, it's not very, in my mind anyway, it's, it's not very hip-hop, you know? It's not exactly like a boom-bap thing, and it's certainly not anything to do with old-school hip-hop. I really wanted to move away from, um, not, not to, you know, denounce my past or anything, but I just felt that I wanted to show that yes i know i'm the guy that's known as funky old school hip-hop guy but i've always made a lot of different kinds of music this is where my head is right now you know sort of slow moody psyche sort of stuff with an edge i just want to make a record that sounds like it's a you know uh, i don't know well this probably sounds a bit over the top but you know like david axelrod has assembled all our favorite musicians you know in in, in one studio you know that's that's the beauty of sampling right you can take all these you can get all these great people together on one record. They just didn't, you know, they didn't give you permission and they weren't really in the room. Um, and that was kind of really the the story behind it, you know, just, just, I wanted to make something purely out of samples that, and, 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 and the other thing that I'm 100% proud of, that might sound like a, again, like, well, that, of course, why would you put something out if you're not happy with it? But so often, especially when you collaborate with people, you do end up making compromises. Or, or, or maybe you make a song, even even I've made songs on my own before, and I don't mind admitting that I've got to a point where I'm like, that's kind of as good as I can get it, and I still put it out. And in hindsight, I'm like, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. And on this, or, or, or maybe it wasn't a mistake. Maybe it was right for me at that time in my life. But now I just feel like I've been doing this long enough. I'm so dedicated. I'm so passionate. I just want something that I can, you know, if I die tomorrow, I can be, at least be proud of this one. 
a hundred percent and just say, that's me. That's, that's, you know, DJ format in 2020 or 2021, wasn't it? By the time it came out, sorry. That's where I'm at. This is, yeah yeah i'm, I'm cool, proud man. to stand behind you. we appreciate that and it's a, it's a very good record and i think the axelrod thing is like really clicking in for me now that, that you're, you're yeah yeah. So, yeah yeah it's it's excellent and we appreciate it oh, yeah we're, we're really we're really big fans of it and um we just want to thank you for your time man um and, and we wish you continued success and uh keep us posted on anything you got so going much. on man yeah no i, I really appreciate uh you guys taking the time to speak to me because honestly I don't really have any, you know, if, if there are guys like yourself listening around the States to my music, I don't really know too much about it. You know, I don't really traditionally sell a lot of records out there. I assume you guys have got, you know, hip hop artists coming out of your ears. You know what I mean? Like you just, you're overdosed on that stuff. Why do you need to listen to some guy from England? So I really appreciate the fact that somehow my music has, has you know, made its mark on you and, and yeah, please continue listening. I will continue trying to do my thing and uh, make music I'm passionate about. Thanks awesome, so much. Man. Thank you. by rap pod that was our conversation with dj format guys in the hierarchy of good interviews would is it fair to say it goes women and then brits <laughs> <laughs> pretty much i mean certainly humility humility and certainly um uh, good at listening you know what mm. i mean um format was so great man what a what um what a humble dude and it's always interesting to hear about perspectives from cats who absorb hip-hop hip-hop outside of where we're from so mm -hmm. yeah man it was really great to hear his stories yeah just a really thoughtful cat and um i didn't quite know what to expect it's it's interesting and dave i don't know if you thought this too like i thought he might be a little bit more like openly b-boyish totally like well, i don't know if i was expecting like a dookie chain and a bucket right. hat quite right. but right like, not the costume but like i just like and you know he he, he lives and breathes hip-hop and breaks and totally totally but but he's also like a really nice like really thoughtful like just like good dude and that that kind of came through very prominently in the interview i hope that people could pick up on that but yeah he, he was really really cool totally. yeah yeah thanks you guys for uh for handling that and for uh Introducing me to his amazing joint with with Edon. What's the name of the song Ooh. again? Spaceship Earth. Spaceship Earth. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's such a good song. I, I loved hearing him break it down and how like originally what we hear isn't what was intended. And Edon just went the fuck off and he yeah. was like, okay, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna keep this. <laughs> you know? Hell yeah, man. Uh I was telling uh Nate in a in a separate thread that like um Edon, which we are Edon boosters on this program. Uh, it's a track from 2012 and Edon is doing uh, pitch perfect triplets uh, like you would hear somebody do currently. And so it just kind of speaks to his prowess, but formats, uh, beats, and I listened to some of his uh, more recent stuff, also super dope. So we encourage y'all to check him out. We want to thank him for coming on the program. As you know, we are the Dad Bod Rap Pod. You can check for us on Twitter at Dad Bod Rap Pod. 
Uh, every week we post a question of the week and we read some of the responses here on air. Given that it is fall, it is almost fall. It is back to school time. Um, I feel like school starts like earlier and earlier into the summer every year. As a person who has like grown ass kids now, I'm like, I remember when summer actually went like the duration of the summer. My, my <laughs> daughter started uh, fucking school on August 11th. Jesus. Like that's that's a crime. Like come on, <laughs> come on. isn't it like when we were kids, you had a three month summer, but you didn't have these long weeks these off all the yeah. time. Right, yeah. right. Is right. it better yeah. or worse? Like as uh, you're the only one of us who's been through this both ways. I think it's better for teachers. As somebody who was married to a teacher for a long time, I know that they need they need those breaks. Uh, as a parent, it's just it's. I don't have a break the first week of October. What am I supposed to do with these kids? Like, right. Like it creates weird challenges for you. Uh, but um, take all three children to work day again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's not the funnest thing, but um, it made me think about back to school season, made me think about rap songs about school. Um, and I was like, beyond just the case of the PTA by uh, by leaders of the new school, I'm like, what other joints are there? And that's what I love about the dad bod rap pod timeline is I can pose a question like that and get a plethora of responses. Um, so we're going to share a few and see if uh, see if you guys are up on some of these. I was like legit surprised. Uh, some joints I had never heard of. Um, let's see. Uh, Tone Foresto at Tone Foresto offered an honorable mention. Uh, Ill Bill, the anatomy of a school shooting which is on brand for oh. Ill Bill. Uh, has, oh. has anybody heard this? Sounds uplifting. No. <laughs> uh, I'll wait for my next depression to hit. <laughs> there you go. There you, you guys go. Know, this is a little bit out of our range, but like, do you guys know that song Pumped Up Kicks by uh, Foster the People? Of course. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. A, it's like yeah, a earwormy yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. one-hit wonder. It's also mm-hmm. about a school shooting. Yep. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, man. If you listen, yeah. listen to it again. Okay. Okay. This was the thing when it came out. I'd, I'll never forget this. Uh, the one, probably one of the last times I watched the Grammys when it was on, they had the guy from Foster the People do a part of this Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys uh, tribute, and so he's wearing like the striped shirt like the Beach Boys wear in their early promotional photos. And I've never seen anyone more scared to be on TV in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's my only image of him. I know that song, and that song gets stuck in my head sometimes, as songs like that are supposed to do totally but i just remembered the look of abject terror on that guy's face <laughs> he was on the grammys poor guy i i always think about like uh people who get to that level and then like with you get shit face drunk or hella high and then you're just on national tv i'm fascinated by people who get fucked up on national tv and their, <laughs> and their reactions i think snoop is is the godfather of this uh of just being dumb high on on television which i aspire to um <laughs> At John Liberator, John Morrison, a friend of the program, brought up, and a bunch of people brought up this tune, uh, Class Clown by the Wascals, who I had not thought about maybe legit in, like, 17 years. Like, <laughs> I remember when I saw the name, I was like, oh, yeah, that's fucking right. Totally. Uh, they, they were next up on Delicious Vinyl. It's like, if you like the far side, you're going to love, love the Wascals. Right. Yeah. Not the Rascals, the Wascals. Uh such indicative of the time and the voice registers. I think this was the peak. Them and Bush Babies, I think, were the peak of like, we're rapping high. We're doing that. <laughs> like, um, mm-hmm. but as I remember, it was kind of cool cut. Uh, let's see. Uh, at Bright Loud, a frequent contributor to the timeline, 
says every song on this album and it's a picture of the falling sea the falling season by master ace um mm. in which he is clad in a, in a graduation cap um not super up on that record have you, you guys yeah. it? no no I, I can picture i can picture the cover with him wearing like the cap and gown but you're right i think it's like a like a magenta maroon mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay yeah yeah, yeah. I'm, okay. I'm the same. I, I, I'm not up on that one. Um, it's kind of funny when you pose the question. One, again, I had no idea why you were posing this question at this time. <laughs> so I was glad for your preamble. It's not back to school time for me because I'm never going to go to school again. But uh, I was just like, I don't get why we're doing this. But I love some of these answers. And if I had time today, I would YouTube some stuff. But basically, um, it was kind of like, there are so many songs that are about school because so many people are so young. So you're just They're like, it's like, yeah. it's like a lot of like, fuck the teacher. And I got thrown out of class mm-hmm. and I had to go to detention, but they're mm-hmm. not like the song itself. It's just like, that's where the song takes place. It's not about school. Right. 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 Like, and so many, many songs are kind of about reference, school, but, reference right. school. These people, like people threw down really good answers of songs that are about that in a different way you get yeah absolutely uh uh sun Ra, who uh frequent listeners of the program will be familiar with put master killer school and breeze bruins taking notes tied Mm. for first uh which i breeze bruins song is so good dude yeah he's uh he's excellent and like the right person i think he works in education right if i I, I remember i think he's uh, a teacher yeah yeah, when he was on the program. Uh, also kind of in the educator vein, uh, somebody said J-Live. Uh, uh, no, I can't find the, the tweet. But um, J-Live, Schools In was mentioned. Um, J-Live also uh, an educator, which is this interesting thing. And also Open Mike Eagle was a teacher for a little bit. So there's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting kind of corollary there. Um, a bunch of folks mentioned Passing Me By uh sammy semantics does this qualify <laughs> as a school related rap song given fat lips owed to his teacher uh yeah i'm gonna okay. go yes okay the, the first verse is explicitly about school but it's more about like puppy quote, love a classic rock trope uh being hot for teacher, for teacher. yeah which yeah. can only take place in school i guess like uh <laughs> uh what are they what's the thing they make you do when you get a ticket traffic school yeah <laughs> <laughs> right technically happened there too yeah yeah I'll, I'll accept it um that was by far the most quoted record yeah absolutely i think um and also because to your point uh a lot of these records come along at a time where a lot of these guys were just out of school and definitely for passing me by, that was the anthem of my senior year of high school. Like, mm. uh, and it just felt, it felt really kiddish um, in a cool There way. are a lot of dope Ethiopians passing you by. <laughs> Man, I'm gonna tell you like this, I don't care what, what Fat Lip does ever again. When he That's put together right. Dopus and Ethiopian, I was like, totally, you're the goat. Totally, the goat. totally. That was totally. there the whole time. He was the first person to, to touch on it. So, um, yeah, yeah, we, we appreciate everybody uh, chiming in on the timeline at DadBodRapPod on Twitter. I will be posting questions uh, pretty much weekly. Whether or not Nate understands the context is irrelevant. Um, <laughs> well, I, luckily for everyone, it doesn't matter what I think. <laughs> yeah, um, I, there's always a rhyme or reason, unless there isn't. So um, definitely check us out on Twitter. We are also on Instagram at DadBod. Uh, rap pod and you can connect with us there um 
we also, in addition to, to schlepping uh, ball trimmers, we still have cups. We just got word from Open Mike Eagle. Uh, he has found Al Capone's vaults with, uh, I think we have exactly 16 cups. So if you want to get in on the hot 16, we got these <laughs> nice. cups for you. We got nice. these cups for you, Brent. Um, so definitely. Yeah, let's, uh, uh, let's clear that out. If you, if you were waiting for your time. It's now. It's now. <laughs> if, if international shipping is bothering you, DM me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, work we're, something we're, out. We're, we're happy to help our international friends get mugs in their hands. Uh, fall is coming up upon us. So get that for your, your favorite warm beverage. Uh, and we appreciate your patronage uh, here at the Dad Bod Rap Pod. Uh, as you know, we do episodes every Thursday. We are part of the Stony Island Pods Network. Shout out to the whole network doing big things. Shout out to Open Mike Eagle. Uh, and, you know, we're we're going to keep chugging along. We have dope episodes in the tuck that we're not even, like, really talking about yet. Um, except if you're my poor girlfriend and I'm trying to explain <laughs> to you who we talk to and why it's important. Every week, I'm like, we talk to this guy, and it's and she's, you've never heard of him. He's so dope, <laughs> but I'm obsessed with him. Yeah, and and being a dutiful girlfriend, she's like, that's that's nice. I'm I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy for you. So, uh, so it's it's been a it's been a great run. We have some really cool things. Um, I'm kind of feeling like it's gonna be like fall sweeps week, like on old school TV <laughs> when they would save the hottest episodes for the end, like the really climactic. <laughs> facts of life came at the uh came at the end of the season so we have some dope stuff in the tuck we're we're excited to share it with y'all and we appreciate your continued support we are the dad bod rap pod Oh, yeah.